When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to The Psychologists Are In. I'm Maggie Lawson. And I'm her podcast partner in crime, Timothy Elmitson. And this week, we are talking about season four, episode 12 of Very Juliet episode with the man behind the psych curtain, Steve Franks. We love him so much. I love this episode so much. You guys know whenever Steve is on the podcast, it's going to be a good one and a long one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, Tim. Hi, Steve. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Steve. You know, I, I, I can't even I can't even partake in that high of notes. So I'm just going to say hello to both of you. Well, I'm sure you probably haven't seen any of the footage from from San Francisco, but we have taken your advice on telling the psychos that whether it's a hashtag psych four, whether it's contacting Peacock, whatever they got to do on Twitter, whatever it is, they got to do it. We got an entire chant going with the entire crowd. Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco last week. So Peacock's getting a lot of pressure, Steve. It a is, lot of pressure. It is the good kind of pressure that everybody it's needs. And we're going to make some real movement on that in the, in the first quarter of 2023, hopefully. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. Sooner the better. How are you? It's so good to see you. I am so happy to be here. I uh, I want to see some of this footage from the San Francisco thing because I'm so excited for you guys. And that's pretty amazing. And you guys need to do a worldwide tour and go to every city in the country. And We uh, are working on it. And- Every country in the world, I think. Uh, yeah, I Every think so. Time. Maggie, I've taken the liberty of writing an addendum to the intro I'm sure you've already recorded. Oh, what? Tell. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, oh, I love this. I actually wrote it down and everything. I'm going to read it. I love when Tim does this. So I want to welcome our monstrously wonderful listeners. And you're in for a total treat to this very special episode of The Psychologists Are In, a psychology podcast, where we are talking about the episode, A Very Juliet Episode. An episode which features the incredible talent and I got to say legs of my amazing leading lady. Thank you. Margaret Lawson. Thank you. And we have to help us podcast the shit out of it. We've got the tall man himself, a man whose heart is proportioned to the size of his uh, kindness and goodness is proportioned to his monstrous height. I'm, of course, talking about Mr. Steve Franks, ladies and gentlemen, beat Nick's, beat Nick's snaps. Yay! Thank you, thank you. My heart is only the size of this water glass that I got. <laughs> That's still bigger than most, Steve. It's bigger than most. Got to note that is the throwback to the huge Coca-Cola watering water glass you a, mentioned in your. It is the secret of life. Drink more water than you can possibly contain. Which they've just said now helps um, push off early onset dementia. Oh, I didn't even know that. So that's... The uh, big studies come out. <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. And apparently it's the secret to life, which wow. makes me think I'm going to drink some water right now. Right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you guys for having me here. And I'm only sad we couldn't make it work out also having Tim Meltrager here, who co-wrote this episode uh, with me, which would have been a crazy festival of, of stories and all kinds of energy. 
I wish and let's I could be honest, do it. would have been a four-hour special bonus episode. <laughs> well, I know, and I know there's a hard out on this one, so I got to talk fast. And I only did three and a half pages of notes this time, so I can really just fly through all this information. <laughs> Which is so hard because we, I mean, you guys, I can't even tell you rewatching this. Like, I remember when I got the script. Like, I actually remember... I was, first, I was so excited. I remembered, I think I got it at work. And in my head, when I saw the title, I was like, going, unless I can sit down and read this start to finish in one set, like, I am going to go home, I'm going to take a bath, and then I'm going to pour a glass of wine, and I'm going to sit. I was just waiting for a glass of wine to be poured in this. Yeah, of course. And I remember being like, I think I even said, like, James, I'm speechless. I remember I was a little nervous for it. I mean, here we are, we've been working together for years and like- I gotta say, this was a long time coming, Maggie, to really feature what an amazing actress you are. Oh my God. But like the romantic side, I even wrote down like, the case is so cool. It's actually really cool and very unique and weaves perfectly into the whole storyline. There isn't like too much of a B story no, it's, What's it's the no. Story? We had to fo- we had to focus on this, and there's too much story. It's it's really it's so yeah. There was story of O'Hara and find, tracking down the ex boyfriend. Yeah. The then there was the crime aspect. Yeah. The so mystery all, part. So they were both interconnected. Like it wasn't there. There really was just like this one story. This like whole world holistic story. Even looking back on it now, some of my favorite moments in the series are from this episode. Oh, that's like so our Agreed. grease bit, Tim. Our, it's funny. Actually, it's a lot of last, Lassiette, as we say on here. Yes, but like, oh, for sure. And then, the well, I mean, we're going to get to all of this, but just like rewatching, I remember like the memories of the time were, are so clear to me. That walk and talk that James and I do in the, the wardrobe, picking out the wardrobe, like, like you guys having a hand. It was so special. It was, I thank you. It was so special to me, this episode. I was very thing. excited to rewatch this episode because it's like rewatch podcast, everybody. Yes, of course. <laughs> because I remember how amazing and big an episode it was for you. I don't remember a lot of specifics of it until I watched it back and went, oh, that's right. That's why I love this episode so much. Well, it's yeah. so funny going back to watch them because sometimes you get a little nervous. You go, oh, God, is this one not as good as I remember? Or sometimes they're a little bit of a stinker or like, oh, why did we make Impossible. that choice? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this, I would even say, is better. And, of course, uh, directed by our dear Steve Franks. I mean, we knew we wanted wanted to do this episode, and I really love the idea of doing that affair to remember, love affair uh, yes, sort of storyline. Yes. And I started with, I want to do a Juliet flashback. And then what does that mean and what does that entail? And so that whole yeah. thing you know, came together and it was, it was really fun. I think this is the first time I ever wrote with Tim Meltrigger. And so, you know, that's why you get like the- your- Oldest bestie. Yeah. Yeah. And the grease stuff too is like, I'm sure became a part of it because of Tim and I, because Tim and I make grease jokes all the time and nobody understands them. And I love that Lassiter, that Lassiter just has this really deep understanding of the movie Grease. Nobody else. Nobody Are else we still has. talking about Grease? No, we never we weren't. We never weren't. <laughs> so Which great. I got to, I must admit. I still have never seen that movie. Oh. I know everyone's, I'm going to get hate mail. What? Now. I know. See, I was waiting for this. This is why I've never told you. What? When Olivia Newton-John passed, I actually made a Dallas and I knew, and she could not, she was floored as oh, well. Oh, Tim. Tim, we should have done that. Oh we should gosh. have had one of our movie days. Like sometimes Tim and I might like catch a movie on our off day or whatever in Vancouver. We should have on this episode. Now I'm thinking about well, it. And, if I and had then back known in the that, day, we didn't, when we shouldn't, this wouldn't have the, all the incredible streaming services we have now. 
Here's no, that's true. Of course, me being the intensely professional actor that I am, now I would obviously I would Netflix up or stream up that movie before I did a scene about that movie. Here, here is what we need to do. And Devin, I need you to get on right now because I'm pitching. Psychologists are in Psych Grease rewatch podcast where all we yes! talk about is the movie Grease. And we oh my can God. invite Tim Wait, as well. Wait, can we do that? I'm sure we can. Why couldn't no, we? No, dead serious. So Tim, you're gonna rewatch. You're gonna watch Grease. Tim, for the first time, Grease. you'll be our newbie. It'll be great. And we'll experience <laughs> someone watching it for the first time, and then we'll watch it and get to go back and like find the things we may have missed. I've seen it a million times. I can literally recite most of it. Oh my God, Steve. I just want to let you know, before you watch Grease, prepare yourself because the bass player on all the songs on the ba- on the Grease soundtrack is filling as many notes as the human ear can handle into every one of those songs. Uh, Listen to the bass part of You're the One That I Want, and I, I, you can actually choose any song on there. The bass player is on fire on that soundtrack. So you really have to, you have to sort of take a bass vacation for, uh, for a half a day before you go and a well, day now, after. I was, you know, Steve, I was a former bass player in high school, so I don't know if I'm quite ready for that. You will love it. And nobody, nobody ever talks the about warning. the bass player from the soundtrack to Grease. But I'm finally oh. bringing it out for everybody to know. Put a pin in that because we're going to need like 10 minutes of it for the podcast episode. <laughs> Max, you look amazing today. I And think Steve, you too. always look handsome. I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, Steve Franks. I'm wearing Pepto Our pink dear shirt. friend Steve Frank. Oh, nice. Let's see that merch again. You're going to move oh, your hair. This is my merch again. Pepto Pink. All That's the way. an amazing Pepto Pink merch you're wearing. Yeah. What you Steve, got, Steve? Are you like ready to, to help us podcast the shit out of this amazing episode that you've written I- and directed? I am. I think this is a time because we have such a hard out at the end that we have to podcast the shit out of it as quickly as possible with as much enthusiasm and and energy and momentum as humans can podcast in this in this state. So I am ready to go with as much energy and enthusiasm as the bass player on the Grease soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh! Been, well, here we're I mean, gonna dive I know, in. I'm, been, I'm ready because I've been ready since I pushed stop Record. on the the Peacock episode that I already watched yesterday. Yes, I've been me so excited too. to talk about this episode because you're so good. Okay, so Steve, you already mentioned the flashback. Let's dig right in, shall we? Let's dig in. But you guys, I wish I could turn my computer around easily, but I can't. I'm I've been a little distracted because there's a horse on the street outside of my building right now. It looks like Wait, a couple what? of policemen <laughs> are about to maybe go horseback, but for right now all I can see is a horse on Oh, there's a second horse. <laughs> okay. Sorry guys. And we you know what? Oh, hang on. Turn the they camera say, around. They Why say do we LAPD. need to listen to this? No, okay. it's like the so John Mulaney bit what where he happening? says there's a horse in a hospital, but now you have a horse on your street. I think that's very exciting and very fun. Is there a parade in, in Hollywood going on right now? I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, Is there a digitally aged Indiana Jones chasing after a bunch <laughs> of people after the moon landing down a street in Dublin that looks like a street in New York City? Is that happening? There's a third horse, you oh guys. It's like a Narnia. It's like a Narnia trailer where like things just keep coming out of it. I, I need know. to move to your neighborhood because yours is much more exciting than mine. Maggie, before we go anyway, any further, back to, back are you, have you recently changed your prescription meds? And <laughs> I know I must be hallucinating right now. Something is happening. Yeah, their prescription. Anyway, no. Okay, okay. Let's dive in, you guys. I'm so excited to talk about this episode, start to finish, everything, all the details. Throw them in. 
interrupt me. Episode 12 of season four, a very Juliet episode. Hey, written by, Juliet I know episode. I'm gonna get like shy. Written by Steve Franks and Tim Melger, and directed by Steve Franks. Our hero, Steve our Franks. Our hero, who I am, I'm like giddy. As you can see me, I'm like a little girl right now. That's how I felt As when I, I mentioned got this in the, the live show. Steve Franks, the font of which all good things of psych come from. True. Well, many of the good things of psych, but it's it's a group effort as always. And of course, Maggie, this this is just a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous episode. Adam Cohen, for some reason, is calling oh. me. I haven't talked <gasps> to our our composer Adam Cohen in in quite a while, and he just he must know that we're talking about psych right now. And and we have to talk about the amazing music that that that, that they oh. contribute to this episode. There was a song at the end. Okay. We oh can my gosh! This yes, that want. song is so good, right? It's so good. And I thought it had a very, like, a vibe of, I'm like, wait, did have we not known this whole time that this song was like, anyway, do you know what the song is? I think it's called I Don't Want to Know. Is it? Was it fair to say this is a love letter to Juliet O'Hara? I think so. I think it's it's more than that. I think it's a tribute to the talent of Maggie and to just to the, the sort of depth and, and complexity of this character. And and that that the greatest thing about this episode this is my favorite piece of trivia that I've just come up with about this episode. Sean doesn't show up in this episode till seven and a half minutes in and nobody <gasps> notices. Gus shows up at like six minutes and 55 seconds. Right. And right. you don't care. It's like, who are those other guys? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. That's wild, wonderful. Steve. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. It's really cool. And I mean, you were excited about doing this script. I was so excited about doing this script because I really wanted to do something different, you know, because we've done like all these sort of big mummies and dinosaurs and all that. I didn't do the dinosaur episode. It was Tim Matheson. I wrote it, but, but, you know, we, we've done all these sort of big things and I wanted to do something that was just really emotional and really sweet and really just went to the core of uh, these characters. And, and you know, yeah. it was time to do a, a Maggie episode. And it was just... Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, it certainly was. And it was, I was just so joyous. And it, it was really fun that, to hang out with you guys on set so much because I have the most vivid memories of this shoot. Mm -hmm. and, and perhaps mm -hmm. one of my top five moments ever in psych happen on this show and it comes it'll come later i'll surprise you oh, when it comes in there but but it was just it was really fun to, to 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 write this way and to shoot it this way and you know and it was it was so much of it i wanted to be traditional like in the, in that opening scene we when we, we go to flashback i may be jumping ahead but that clock i insisted on that clock i wanted that clock oh. right there in the middle and you know we shipped that thing in there and put it right so we could move it around and, and set it in there. And, and it was right down. It's like one of the, the first times ever I, I even, and Maggie, you probably remember this, that I ever really even had a vote on wardrobe because that red dress at the beginning was yeah. so important yeah. to it. Because it, it yeah. like that scene had to exist like in time, but out of time completely. Steve, I literally... I, as you're saying this, I'm realizing two of my now favorite moments on Psych involved clocks or clock towers oh, yeah. of some mm -hmm. kind. But I also, I remember being so grateful at your, the openness you had. I remember us talking about, you know, wardrobe and sort of the vibe, that sort of timeless feeling. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah. It feels like a fairy tale. And so it exists in its own time and it can be whatever it wants. That train station, by the way, 
also just like what a magic not a not an airport you know not a road trip just like the most magical kind of throwback fairy tale place i feel like train stations are so magical anyway all right let's go and i I, i'm sure i've told you many times that i i end up when i'm really stuck on the script i hop on a train and i'll take the train either to santa barbara or to san diego and i'm almost guaranteed to come home with a completed script or or massive progress on a script because trains are, are amazing and magical and and to get to go up to the pacific rail station which by the way i'm not once again getting ahead of ourselves but we got control of that train station half of it so i don't know if you remember but we had a dividing line because all yes on I the do. other on the other half was the loudest most bustling train station in the world and people they're probably pretty annoyed that they're having to cram through to go through customs and that is the Amtrak line going straight down to Seattle and at our back. And we had and we controlled the other side. And it was uh, it was magical and amazing. <sighs> and everybody was there. Andy Berman was up there. Tim yeah. was up there. Henzi was up there. It was like it exists out of time from the show because there's no reason that Andy would have been up there and I would have been up there. But I wonder if if he came up like as an assist with Tim maybe or something. But I remember I remember Berman being there as well, meaning an assist with Meltriger and you just to like st- stick around. I don't know. He, you know, we right, love having Because Berman around. was out drinking with us at the Wink and Judge with John that. Yeah, he was drinking before. with us at Andy. Andy was. But I have I had so many thoughts even before this episode. So even before I was like. Concept-wise, you directing that shot, that huge shot coming in the very beginning, and then also the the time lapse. Yeah, and just it just it was great. Okay, let's dive in because we will have I, so many of these as this, we go along. This is going to be four hours long. Yes, There's Tim, no already. Way. I think we have a series first Ooh. at the very beginning. So it's two thousand and three, L.A. series first, first time that we are not in Santa Barbara, other than extradition, mm-hmm. but the first time our show goes to L.A. or the ha- fictional Los Angeles. Yes. The fa- the flashback is not young Gu- uh, young Sean and Gus, right? It's a uh, Juliet and her co- college boyfriend and her college hair and I think it was your Florida <laughs> University uh, t-shirt. t-shirt. I think yeah. it's University of Miami. We got, I think it's uh... I love that we got some Juliet backstory in this one. It was two more years of college, then Miami, then the police academy, I believe. Yeah, and she yeah. she and and we also learned that she loved Dumbo figurines. Dumbo, uh, yep, we love, love, love Dumbo figurines, absolutely, and tall guys, love tall who, guys. Who wrote Lo- that part? Who is trying who to put this propaganda is... out in the world that yeah. tall guys are great? I don't know. All right, I'm going to start talking because okay, we're going to get uh, let's there. Go. We're going in order because I got backstory. For One of my that. favorites, pineapple sighting. Steve, do you know what it is? You know what? I have no idea. I don't either. Scott, Gus, and Sean walk through the warehouse. You can see what appears to be the shadow of a pineapple Whoa. on a window in the next room. Devin is oh. saying, is that right, Steve? Come wow. on. Wow, really? Devin okay. is so good. She never misses these. So I'm going to go ahead and confirm. Psychos, uh, if you have a, another one, let us know. Okay, I, I'm going to say yes. And then yeah, I'm going to say cool, that Tim right? Meltrigger probably came up with that idea. So good. 
So good. Oh, Tim. Okay, cold open, Los Angeles, 2003. We've talked about this a little bit. College Juliet walks to the train station hand in hand with her then boyfriend, Scott, as he asks her to stay with him in LA. She tells him she can't do a long distance relationships because in nice Juliet fashion, proposes that in 10 years, they meet right back at this very station at exactly 4 p.m. and reunite. Juliet then hugs Scott goodbye and they decide seven years instead of 10 because it's just too long. Yes, Tim. But in answer to uh, Juliet's proposal, Scott, says something very telling about O'Hara. Says you are both practical and romantic. Yeah. Which is some I think great O'Hara insight right there. Little, little, great Juliet insight. I also want to give a shout out to Josh Bratton. Oh, yes. Who I knew even before this episode. I met Josh in 03. He was working with my then boyfriend at the time, but on a movie called Dumb and Dumber-er, which, or 04 maybe, or whatever, and like hadn't seen him since. And then I was like, I, like I'd seen him in the world, like maybe at auditions or something. And then I was like, what? Josh Braddon's coming to this? Anyway. That would be called a psych degree of separation, everyone. Uh, that is a psych degree of separation. Well, and, and, and I got to say, as you're getting on the train, even your luggage is oceanized blue. <laughs> Tim, I have to. And you're not even in the scene. That was just for me. And what's so cool, too, is he carries your bag for He's a good boyfriend. You can tell he's a good guy. And what I really love about this, and actually, I shouldn't say what I really love about it because it goes back to the characters and all that. But but what I love is, like, he's the right guy for you in the flashback, but not the right guy for you when you come back to the present. And, (laughs) and, you know, and he's a good guy. and, And, like, Josh is, like, the perfect person He's because because when we started casting this, it's like who's the audience is not going to root for anybody other than Sean. So how do you find a guy that's likable and believable? And and yet you can sort of put him in this nether zone where you don't hate him and you pull for him and then you feel the sadness of, you know, the, the date scene later is so great when when you realize this guy's just he's he was what you would have been right for you maybe seven years ago, but not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and that's life, and that happens. It's so loving. It's so cool. Okay. Let's proceed to seven years later, as you were about to do. Sorry, I interrupted. Seven years later, 4 p.m., Pacific Standard Time. Juliet wears a, well, let's let Tim describe it. Hang on, but no, but we see in the parking lot, before we see Juliet, first we see the green grape. Oh, the green grape is in the parking lot, which has been my, it was still my car on Psych, which is so funny. Um, And then we we cut to Bombshell O'Hara. By the way, Tim. Tim, thank you for noticing that because it's this tiny in the frame, and I and I fought so hard for them to bring that car because it's hard, kind of hard to find. And yeah. so, just for that shot, for that establishing shot from across the road, I wanted Juliet's car to be there. So thank you. And then Tim we see we see Juliet walking away. So cut to interior of the of these train station, where we see Bombshell O'Hara in an incredible red dress, which of course is in the. Pepto drink family. So drink up, everybody. Is it in the pe- That's in the family? It's, it's red. It's in Pepto. Okay, so it's a dare like you the, question it's me. It's like a cousin. No, okay, it's like a okay, very I got you. distant okay, cousin. Okay, so oh, that's yeah. cool. Okay. I, I'm but a fa- why, Steve? Oh, why because do you have I a had description? The, I yeah. had it as the frame around the craft logo on the macaroni and cheese box red. <laughs> Not the word craft, but the frame that goes around it, which, by the way, also. I know the frame. Yeah. It's called craft dinner in Canada, so it has a, a second layer to it there. But if you want, wait, to, hold on. If you want, if you want to simplify it, it can be Dairy Queen red. Hold on, I'm pulling this up on Amazon right now, and I'm holding <laughs> it. I'm going to hold it up to the screen because what you're talking about. Hold on, give me the full shot. Here we go. 
is the ring around there it is that's it correct that's the color that's what we're talking excellent point so as we see juliet waiting on the bench i love that there is very 1980s hardcore music from every like 1980s movie is playing it's very rick springfield-esque uh-huh wait so aren't we listening to strung out by steve perry as i as in the background oh wait hold on that's what it's is that what you're talking about tim you talking about the greatest steve perry song of all time yeah. What's this? It's, okay, was it? Because it, it, no, but it's like it's every 1980s movie when the hot girl comes on, this kind of music plays. <laughs> I love that song so much. And, you know, obviously, because we were basic cable, we couldn't afford an actual journey song. But I would take Strung Out over almost every journey song because that is wow. pop perfection. And there's an edit of this scene that I love the song so much. David Crabtree edited this one, I believe. I hope I'm not putting this, uh, giving credit in the wrong place, but where we use almost the entire song because I love listening to the song so much. And I love that. And it was so fun to shoot that time-lapse stuff in there. And it, it was just, a, and it's this slow, heartbreaking thing of Juliet waiting there all day and she's hopeful. And, and, and that's it, why it's so good because it just plays on Maggie's face. The this, whole And we thing. get the whole time-lapse sequence of what she's going through internally, waiting for this guy to show up. Will he, won't he show up? There are yeah. there are a couple secret sightings in that. There's a, there's a wonderful lady that's almost dressed like Mrs. Doubtfire that Juliet has a little moment with. Um, and it's, oh, she's sitting just over, to the yeah. right of her, yeah. It's really sweet. And then, Mrs. even better, in the bottom right corner of the frame, Tim Meltrigger comes and sits across from her in the bench next to her. And looks Shut over up. I did not see and that. And then disappears. You have to watch it again because there's Tim sitting as clear as day. I remember that and I totally missed it, but I do remember him being in the scene. Oh, yeah. He's also fantastic. the one thing I wrote down and noticed I was like, this is just you shot, you literally shot the shit out of this, like this whole episode, Steve. But like, there was a, I would say, a new level of, like, there was a different. The close-ups were a little closer. Yeah. There was a bit more intimacy, like, in even in the scenes. Like, I noticed it in this, even when I first come in the flashback, then some of the date stuff, I was like, look at us. Like, you were really getting all, anyway. Through that montage, doesn't matter who else is in the scene, because let's be honest, no one is looking at anybody in the frame other than Maggie. It's that, true. Tim. Thank you. I it love It is that very dress. true. I, can't, I just kept writing down, this just feels like a fairy tale. If, like, truly, not just like, oh my God, it was so magical to shoot and do, it was, but it looks and feels like like a bit of a throwback, like a nostalgic, almost Capra, like there's a there's that vibe. Like, anyway. Yeah, well, uh, and you know what? Off and, the top. And I, I fought so hard to get a crane in there because we had to crane down from uh, above the clock and then. I, I believe we shot all of our train stuff in one day because I can't imagine us getting two days there anyways. And it was a fight worth fighting that crane. Yeah, it was. And it was we use it so much because I, I was able to put it up there for the time lapse. I, we use it for the end when the when the train pulls away. We used we used a lot of <laughs> we overused the crane as much as possible. But I'm so glad it's so grand that like opening it's and it needs it. It's so good. It's so good. I think cranes are um, so elegant. I love them. And I would I would have them every well, day if, if we have a this money. script and storyline really does deserve those crane shots. You guys have heard of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out when your friends get together one night and you can't make it. Well, let me introduce you to eco guilt, the feeling that you're not doing your part to help the environment. You got it? Eco-guilt. 
Think about it. We have so much trash buildup on the daily. Leftover scraps, plastic bottles, trash bags full of more trash. That's where Lomi comes in. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have less garbage each week. I went from at least three trash bags a week to like just one. My eyes are always bigger than my stomach. So that means I have a lot of unnecessary leftovers and scraps from cooking. Now with my Lomi, I just throw in my old potato skins, rotten vegetables, bananas, whatever I didn't use in my fridge, and I turn my trash into dirt. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, my waste turns into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. It's Amazing, you guys. I love the idea that I'm reducing my waste footprint. Food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. So by reducing the amount of food I send to the landfill, I am helping do my part. I threw a dinner party recently, and the food cleanup was a breeze, you guys. Plus, all my friends think I'm like an eco-goddess now, which is very cool. Uh, So I'm saving the environment and looking cool at the same time. It's a win-win situation, and you can have that too. Also, I got to say, it's very good-looking. I don't know. People worry about like what's on their countertops or whatever. It's really nice. It's just it's a very it looks very pleasant. It doesn't smell. It's great. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash pineapple and use promo code pineapple to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi, L-O-M-I, dot com slash pineapple and use promo code pineapple at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. You know who's kind of a hot mess? Literally everyone. Perfection is an illusion. It really is. So give it up already. And this is coming from a vitamin and supplement company. It is so hard to maintain that perfect appearance when deep down we're all struggling. Whether it's with our mental health, stress from our jobs, nerves from a first date, fitting into the perfect dress, we are all struggling to be perfect when we should just focus on being happy and nutrient-rich. I love that this is Ritual's message, you guys. Ritual knows it's basically impossible to get all the nutrients you need from your diet 100% of the time, so they made a multivitamin that helps you focus on what's important, like filling key nutrient gaps to support foundational health. Ritual is super cool because you know each ingredient involved and where they're from. Ritual is a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. With nine key ingredients in two capsules per day, their unique beadlet and oil is even patented, you guys. You can actually see where the ingredients are made and why Ritual chose them, like vitamin D from Nottingham, UK. Or vitamin A for Switzerland. It's so interesting to look on a map and pinpoint where each ingredient is sourced from. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. A minty essence in every bottle keeps things fresh and helps make taking your multis every day actually enjoyable. It's true. It's like popping a Tic Tac that helps fill nutrient gaps in our diets. It's so nice. Instead of striving for perfect help, aim for supporting foundational help. Great news. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash pineapple to start Ritual 
or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. I show my love for someone by making them something in the kitchen. It's true. Basically, my love language is cooking. A perfect thank you gift to someone involves me and an oven set to 350 degrees, sometimes a skillet, you know, on top, whatever, a whisk and some chocolate chip cookie mix or who knows, any anything, a good fish, a good meat. Anyway, there's nothing better than showing your appreciation of someone through some good old comfort food. Like my grandfather's self-coined famous lasagna or his chili or his chicken pot pie, basically anything my grandpa makes. That's where ButcherBox comes in. ButcherBox is high-quality, humanely raised, delicious meat delivered straight to your door. I know what you're thinking. What can ButcherBox offer me? Easy, peace of mind, ultimate convenience, and incredible value. ButcherBox takes the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood you can trust with their 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, pork-raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Their meat is humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, and you guys know how important all of those things I just said are to me. Plus, you get just what you want delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping for the continental U.S. and no surprise fees. Choose from a variety of box plan options from curated to customized and change your plan whenever you want and enjoy a range of high-quality cuts that are hard to come by at the grocery store. Add access-exclusive member deals that can save you big on your favorite cuts. And of course, check out their recipe inspiration. Guides, tips, and hacks. Some are even personalized. So you can cook up mouth-watering meals. The amount of meat I received from them, you guys, is it was incredible. I had so much to experiment with in the kitchen, and I didn't actually butcher any of the recipes. See what I did there? I attempted their spicy caramel chicken recipe. So, so good. I knocked it out of the park. I really did. It's just so nice to know where your meat is coming from. ButcherBox is offering our listeners one of their best deals yet, a 100% grass-fed chuck roast and a whole organic chicken free. That's a lot, you guys, when you join, plus an additional 20% off your first box. Sign up today at butcherbox.com pineapple and use code PINEAPPLE to get 100% grass-fed chuck roast and a whole chicken free in your first box plus 20% off. That's butcherbox.com slash pineapple and use code PINEAPPLE to get this very special deal. Um, okay, so we've got Steve Perry playing in the background. Okay, we've kind of gone through this. Juliet speaks on the phone with someone deciding she should stay and wait it out, but as the station's like, I literally wrote down, I was like, who the hell is she talking to? We know who she's talking to. And a janitor wipes the floors. Juliet sits alone in a pit of realization and sadness. Back at the station, who is there to help her but Lassiter? Helps Aww. Jules cope with her broken heart by giving some friendly advice. Just so romantic advice. Saying, all romance ends in despair. <laughs> or death, but mostly despair. And Such mentions that he's happy this happened to her. Lasser lines. Uh, and truly, like, this is really one of my favorite Lassiat scenes. Oh, yeah. Because it really it sets up our relationships. And to go from, in just two seasons, where we were in Spelling Bee, yeah. to now to see this friendship and how it's grown just warms the caucus of my heart. <laughs> it was so, so amazing to, to just watch this back yesterday and go, oh, that's where these kids were. It's so fun. And it's so great because in the beginning, you know, we had to work so hard not to reveal who you were talking to. And it's, yeah. uh, and then we come back in and then who would their confidant be? And it's him, my God, you guys are so good. And just 
the the perverted joy that Lassiter gets that that Juliet finally <laughs> feels the pain that you feel and can understand yeah. and 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 it's like she's just excited because it's going to make her work better. And it'll make and me a better. He's so excited to a to be a confidant, yeah. and then get, you get the further down the road of because it's going to make her a better cop to realize that the world is horrible. And people also, just out for, bent on her destruction. It's one of my favorites because it's just so quiet and it's just us talking. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of times, you know, we made a, a conscious effort to like let those scenes play longer and not feeling beholden to getting to a gag right away. And then you get to things like Lazara, I feel a hug coming on. The most ill timed, what in the hell are you talking about? Okay. We can have the hug, but still, really, right now? He has so much <laughs> flowing through him. It's so much. When Lazarus says, you get my permission, and you go, what? So to consummate your relationship with Scott, your woe is just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, just so deadpan. Can I tell perfect, you? So perfectly played, Maggie. But also so perfectly played, Tim. So perfectly written, Steve. I This is my one of my top, like, if I go start to finish, like Lassiette episodes, you know, you and I have these moments that we talk about to him that are just like, oh, this was such a turning point. This was such a turning This episode, I feel like from start to finish is like a whole peek into, here's the thing. It's so borderline cringeworthy as Devin describes it or borderline inappropriate, but not in like the icky inappropriate way, but just like, no, now's not the time for that. But it's so honest, earnest, and like wholesome in the way that Socially you deliver Lassiter. it. And Lassiter, it's the intention behind Lassiter saying it, even though the words do not match the like intention, <laughs> the moment, the emotion behind what he's trying to convey at all. It's very confusing. But I love that Juliet always knows that it's like, yeah. This is from a good place. It's it is. I know that it is. Even though, this, please stop talking. Please stop <laughs> saying whatever you're saying right now. But it's like, there's something so, and that's all. That's in you, Tim, as well, because like your delivery of it is so. You're you believe so wholeheartedly what you're saying is the best for me. <laughs> like this is the best lesson you're gonna learn today, and I'm gonna teach it to you. It's just so good. It's so good. Anyway, and I'm sorry I have to teach it to you, but I'm glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then he hugs her in the most cringeworthy way. I love it. Ten minutes later, after planning on getting back to work, Juliet searches for Scott using her police resources, but he doesn't show up on the search engine. How peculiar. That's when Chief Vic appears out of nowhere, Tim, I know you're going to call this, and puts a stop to Juliet's personal missing persons case. What is Chief Vic wearing? I got a little twist on this. Let me read this perfectly from my notes. Chief, okay, so Vic is now in what I call the, um. she's got a popped Karen. Oh, God. Is it the popped collar? It's, it's the. It's now like the popped Karen. So wrong it's not, and great. And she, it's but she just gives wrong. The, she sounds like a medical term. It sounds like a whole, a, a whole, a whole, ter, a whole world. Of I know terms. where you're going with it, but um, yes. What happened? Oh. Popped Karen. I loved it. Okay. Um, and then, okay, so Juliet, okay, and also I love McNabb in this scene. I love Sage in this scene, too. Chief Vic then gives the, Jules... Sorry, the advice that men often don't show up. Well, if we're talking about Vic's husband, yes, she's right, because he never <laughs> ever shows up in eight seasons and three movies. Years never three seen movies. him. And it broke my heart because I was like, in the last movie, when she's at the campsite and, you know, everything has fallen apart, I had like a weird, like, oh my God, this was like a weird premonition to 
how many years later and we're like anyway so that like got really got me a little bit well and what's her, so her delivery what's so wonderful about what kirsten does is she's trying to still remain the boss you know she's trying to keep that kind of relationship but she's also reaching into the, the depths of her soul <laughs> at the same time yeah. and it's it's a wonderful tightrope that she's doing there and and by the way talk about like serious scenes you know there's yeah. There was, there's no joke until the end when you reveal that, you know, that McNabb has been standing <laughs> there the whole there. time, <laughs> Yeah, which was really great. But that came out of necessity because I was like, okay, which way do I have? Because we, I don't know. You, I'm sure you remember, we shot that in the, in the, the bottom corner of our downstairs yeah. area by the interrogation rooms. We it never, like that big. we never shoot there. You know, we never do much there. So we were pinned up there and there was no, nowhere to go. And so I was yeah. like, I had to figure out which way to have McNabb cross. And I'm like, oh, my God, let's just leave him there and we'll shoot around him. And then he's just been standing there frozen because there's you this she's real like moment six happening. Four, stuck That's in comedy, this Steve. Corner. Oh, gosh. And Sage kills it. He's he's awesome. So and I, good. I love that he just puts all the files back down. He just gives up. Oh, my God. I just saw what great... Devin wrote. Chief Vic then gives Jules a little heart to heart about men. Short synopsis. Men ain't shit. <laughs> Devin, sometimes I love she like leaves nuggets. It's very fun. I'll just be reading through because I haven't read this yet. And I'll just be reading through and I get I she has very fun, fun, fun little bits she likes to put in here. All right. As Juliet walks back to her desk, she runs into Gus and asks for his help. But with the condition that he must keep Sean out of it, this scene for sure my favorite scene with Gus I think in the series Juliet and Gus yeah, like sure. I yeah, we don't have a ton but I this was such a moment with everything that's happened between them it would be weird if he if Sean got involved so Gus agrees fist bumps her and instantly runs into a wall let's be honest we needed that after Juliet got freaking stood up earlier <laughs> Devin <laughs> so great that, he's so he does funny. a sort of weird thing with his hand over he makes, the fist bump he makes too. the fist bump disappear it's a secret oh <laughs> that's what it was. It's it's he's like it never happened, right? And, and I feel like it's so fun. He's got to play off Sean so much, and he got to be like so physically big in the scene. Like it was just so fun. It, it was so good. It's so great. And and Gus considering himself to be the vault of secrets when <laughs> exactly the opposite. It's like his jackal. And immediately switch. spills. We just did Thrill Seekers as well last week, and it was so funny. I mean, how quickly he's like in the circle of trust with, you know, Sarah Shahi, Ruby, I think is her name. And, you know, he just can't. He can't yeah. hold it for long at all. Yeah, his 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 uh, his heart betrays him at, at every turn. Yeah. I am the Vault of Secrets. That's I am also I also have the Super Smeller, which I know you also have. And, yes, I do. And I well, was listening to you guys, I don't know, last week or the other one, and you were talked about how the how the super smeller is a curse and thank you for saying that because it's it's one of the worst superpowers to have it is it really it's, is it's, everyone thinks you're great when you're like you guys don't smell that really you don't smell that and it's like all i can smell yeah like i'll have to roll the windows down in the car if somebody like it, it might be like you know no issue like we get bad breath sometimes it just happens you know uh, sometimes you get bad breath it just happens but you know if Tim. you're in a Except for Tim. Tim never, no. Tim never has bad breath. I have it not all the true. time. So I can't imagine what it would be like if I, if you were like in the car with me. Okay, this is not a great, this is not a great example of <laughs> super smeller talk. But aside, yes, aside. Okay. 
Back at the psych office, Gus begins researching Juliet's case, and when Sean asks what he's working on, he keeps it a secret. Sean immediately figures out he's doing something behind his back, so Gus admits he's finding someone for Juliet, but doesn't let him know Scott was a Juliet's ex-boyfriend, claiming he is simply a missing person case. The next day, an elated Sean arrives at the station. So when he puts in the search and says, and Gus says, why are you using my computer? Because it, he's uh, gone into a uh, government database and tagged, we find out, our, the boyfriend. A uh, administrative assistant comes in and talks to our marshal, played by Craig Sheffer. Craig Sheffer, very cool get for this and my, episode I got well. a site for your separation with Craig. Not work-wise, it's a personal one. Oh. So Maggie... What is my favorite hobby and pastime on weekends in Vancouver? Oh, fly fishing, walking the seawall. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Mm -hmm. Other than seawall with you, it's fly fishing. Yeah. Which I first discovered, like many fly fisher people, and of course, watching a river runs through it, where Craig co-stars with that hack of a very unattractive man, Brad Pitt, and the amazing Tom Skerritt. So that's what got me going, God, that looks beautiful. I want to start fly fishing. Cut to me. So that was, I was really excited to get to work with Craig and talk a little fly fishing with him. That's so cool. That's such and a J- really beautiful thing. Yeah. And James and I were excited because of, of, for a completely different reason, because of the movie Some Kind of Wonderful by John Hughes. And Sorry, so Shepard yeah. was, was, was such a lovely, sweet person, but he always played the heavy in the, in the 80s and, and the early yeah. 90s. So yeah. it, was, it was really fun. There, there is a moment, whenever you see him for the first time, and that, by the way, the, the girl who walks in there, I think her name is Ricky Prosper. It was her okay. first day ever on a movie set. Another one of those. No. I, Stop I, it. The one who walks in with the fire? Yes. Yes. I believe oh, so. I, I hope that's that. right. Because I love okay. when when I'm in a casting thing and I see someone who's never had a real credit. And if they're even close to good enough, I'm like, I can be the person who Aww. gets them their first shot. It's very exciting. And so. This is why we love you, Steve. You're because always that's the man like you that. are, Steve Francis. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just. And she was good and great. And I hope she's had an amazing career since then. But. Uh, I love that. But it's great. And by the way, we skipped over a mentalist joke, which is one of my favorite ones that we've done. Which Wait, were, what? Says, oh, is the, is I'm the, the one who does this. Into... And he says. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so I think it's pretty. He says, oh, you know, he says, I think it's pretty sweet when Simon Baker does it. And he goes, Simon yeah. Baker doesn't do that. And he goes, well, at least we have that. Right. <laughs> uh, whenever we can. It's so. So good. And then I love okay. that Sean goes with Henry. By the way, there's all these great little little different connections. And Sean ha- going to Henry is pretty great. You know, he does he that rarely happens, especially this early in the in the series. And when, yeah. when he brags about going to a missing persons website, <laughs> it yeah. turns out it was the band missing persons. Great delivery, <laughs> Corbin. <laughs> so good. And then, like, nothing is missed in this episode. I'm telling you, if there was like something, a joke, a moment, a character thing, I feel like it it is all explored in this episode. Well, and there's a callback to Maggie's other crush on the show, Lars Ewing from Psy versus Psy, oh, yeah. that Sean's yeah. using right. his password. So those are those are the kind of things that we love to we love to bury back into the into the story. I believe the kids call those Easter eggs. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. And the psychos love to find them. So it's good. This is fun. I'm sure they would have, they would, they've probably already discovered all of that, but it's still fun. Okay. So the Not next yet. day, an elated Sean arrives at the station to tell Juliet he found her missing person and that he's dead. A distraught Juliet wearing a dark Lawson lilac top. Devin's doing it now. Runs out of the room. And Gus unfortunately admits to Sean who Gus uh, Scott really is. Yes. Which also I thought interesting that Sean is wearing Lawson lilac as well. So you're both in purple, which is 
a strange wardrobe thing, which normally never happens. Uh, yeah. I had something different. I had the lady speed stick purple. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's right. But I couldn't decide because it also looks like Claire's accessories could be wait, that wait. too. So, but Maggie, uh, your beat when you think that Scott is dead is so, so, so well played. Oh, yeah. It's really sad. Oh, wait. Is it this purple? Hold on. I think you're thinking of the old lady speed stick because here it is. And we're going to zoom in on it. Oops, hold on. I don't want to sign up for those ads. There we go. Okay. Is it this purple? No, no, no. It's the words lady speed stick. Oh, wait. Oh, hold on. Oh, yeah. Well, hold no, on. It's, it's more of a pastel. Now. Maybe they've gone more purple. Wait, I'm going Claire's boutique. It's full on pastel. Yeah, it's, it should um, be lighter. I got it. The Claire's, okay. It's also, though, a little bit, it's a little more, I'm with you. I feel like they maybe changed up Claire's a bit because oh. the old Claire's neon sign for me used to be like a pale purple. Like, yeah. Yeah. And now it's a little, it's a little darker. Maybe that, It's like maybe. Lady Speedstick and Claire's talked and they decided to like, <laughs> well, that's anyway. fine. We'll stay with Lawson Lilac because that seems uh, that seems easier. I mean, it's, but it's not quite Lawson Lilac. It's much more purpley. It's a, it's more purpley. And then James is though I feel like is in that family too. James is definitely Lawson Lilac. Uh, you is were this the biscuit lady bit? Oh yes, that's a psych first. By the way, the first reference of the biscuit oh. lady. <laughs> I love that Lasseter kind of kind of made out with her at the. Uh, at the Christmas party. The company, the company the, pic, picnic. The company party, the yeah. Picnic. It's the thing in the run of the series, with the exception of maybe like when you found out that you were having a baby and you lost your nerve and your, your mortality stared you in the face. It's the thing in the entire run of the series that Laster's been the most afraid of is having face-to-face -face contact with the biscuit lady. Are we there? Wait, we may not be there yet. Hold on. So I mean, Sean... Plus, Feeling Sorry. awful for revealing the death of Juliet. Wait, I think we're not. We're a minute away from that scene. If we're doing Biscuit Lady, Sean feeling awful for revealing the death of Juliet's ex-boyfriend, then decides to look deeper into what happened to Scott to give Juliet some answers. He and Henry have been working like dogs on the case, already getting the police report on Scott's fatal accident and noticing many inconsistencies. Back at the station, Sean, Gus, Lassie meet in chief's office. Now's the Biscuit Lady, even oh. though they're clearly not allowed to. Yeah, because yeah, Sean says, "Is it okay we're in Vic's office?" And Lassie replies, "Of course, I'm practically one of this place." Quick, hit the deck. We <laughs> jump down onto the desk. Lazar yells at the deck when a woman with a cart walks by. She happens to be the biscuit lady, and he owes 80 cents. <laughs> May have made and out plus, with her Steve, at a party. Steve, I got to say, uh, well done on, on the word biscuit, because it's got a K sense, which is obviously funny. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, and biscuits always it wasn't the, It wasn't the muffin lady. It was the biscuit uh, lady. This whole bit, you guys. This whole... So... La okay, Sean and Gus rope Lassie into their investigation, who tells them that Scott used to work at a legitimate business front for the mobster J.T. Waring, who is currently incarcerated. Lassie thinks Scott must have gotten in over his head and was taken out. They need to know more about Scott. So Sean delicately asks Juliet to tell him more about her old flame. Then Lassie chimes in asking about Scott's darkest tendencies, and Sean nudges him only for Lassie to respond in typical Lassie manner by immediately choking a show first is the the Lassiter choking, <laughs> attempting to choke Sean, which never goes. It's just it's a very fast move, and, and never sad. like I never really squeeze anything. It's just obviously fake. I'm not really, but it's the first of many times that Lassiter tries to choke out Sean because that's all he's got. But and then Gus is crying because he's a sympathetic cry. It's a mess. Everybody's a mess. I mostly remember shooting out, this. Yes, go ahead. O'Hara is in rose blush, Pepto pink. Drink up, everybody. Yeah. Sorry, Steve, what were you saying? Oh, no, I was just saying what is, what's so, what's amazing is how quickly Lasseter goes to full choking almost yeah. instantly. His, his it's, fuse is that short. 
It's so quick. And then it's like a tiny, he gives him a tiny little tap on his shoulder. And then James and comes into just your goes face right too. To it. It's just, it's pure be- bedlam, the, the three of them trying to work together. And then oh. they come into to Gus, who's sympathetic crying, but she's not crying. I'm not even crying. It's so good. He's like, yeah, but that's when Gus starts crying. Oh, because he's a sympathetic crier. Juliet has to calm the three of them down instead of herself, who actually needs a mental break. Thanks, Devin. At a park and Steve, Sean apologizes to Juliet about his behavior earlier, and she takes a walk down memory lane, remembering Scott fondly, making Sean a little jealous per usual. She tells Sean about a rare figurine collection Scott had back in the day and how he broke up the set and gave her the Dumbo one because she knew... (laughs) He knew she loved it. Sean and Juliet arrive at a playground now as Sean notices Gus and Lassie snooping mystery gang style behind a tree. Sean yells, get out of here, in a reply to her story, then adding, get out of here, you and your black friend. (laughs) This was so, and he throws the rock. Oh my God. And that rock, I know that rock was a fake rock, but it still had some weight to it. He so nearly hits your face, Tim. Yeah. It is like, oh, I know. I replayed it. It is a great throw. He hits that tree center, and it was, it's pretty extraordinary. There's so much physical comedy in this episode going on between the three of you in such a sweet, quiet, introspective episode. Yeah. But it's, it's really amazing. And, and Tim, by the way, that, that previous scene when you say, when you talk about Gus and you say, oh, tell I faucets here. Oh, God, that's a great delivery. <laughs> so good. As Sean hugs Juliet, he throws a rock at the two of them. Then Henry calls Sean as he rocks an earpiece yes. and drives the blueberry, revealing some interesting information about the cause of Scott's death. Sean, ignoring Gus's complaints about going the wrong direction for the past two hours, <laughs> mentioned he discovered someone selling the exact set Scott owned, minus the Dumbo piece, and that they're at his house right now spooky he and gus ring the doorbell thinking it must be scott's killer selling his belongings only to find scott alive and well they bring him back and surprise juliet at work but they get another shock when u.s marshal daniel wayne arrives and tells them they just exposed a witness out of the protection program wayne and scott then explain that there was a raid where scott worked and an agent killed in the process scott testified against wearing putting him in the room with the dead agent and has been in protective custody ever since. Wayne wants to take Scott back, but now that he's out and has reconnected with his love, Juliet, he refuses to return. Juliet lets Scott stay at her place to keep an eye on him, and that night Lassiter nearly catches a man who was lurking around their house. There's um, a great, great beat between you and Scott Yeah. when you do the um, Goodfellas joke. Yes. Which I loved hearing. That's the yeah. that's the moment that Juliet realizes that she has outgrown Scott. And they can't hang anymore. Yeah. Like they can't hang they don't hang with each other the same way. And it's it's just there's just a, a tiny bit too much effort in mm-hmm. involved with him. And it, it's it's a, it's bittersweet and, and pretty awesome. And I love I love how quickly Lasser is on the on the front door when there's any danger. Oh it's, my god. And this was the first time we ever got to see anywhere that Juliet lived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what's funny is the interior of Juliet's apartment is actually the same place that Sh- that Sean and Gus just walked to in that previous scene. We used the interior of, of that house and then we had used the outside for when they go find Scott in Northern California, wherever he is. So that's two for the price of one in, in using your locations. I've, I knew that. I noticed that. And I also, in this scene, loved the... 
you know, I'm sort of in like date mode because you're right. It's the moment when I'm just like, it's from Goodfellas. And there's just that hang for a minute of like, oh, he doesn't get it. Oh, never mind. And it's like in the never mind, I, whatever I kind of say to be like, uh, oh, the connection is just like a little lost. Yeah. Like we've lost a little. But that I love the badass part of getting to like have my gun in my lap with the pillow on it and have like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you like, <laughs> like, wait, we're not on a date. Like, it's just a funny, the whole thing is totally chaotic and great. Anyway, okay. After that incident, Wayne points out to Chief Vic that Scott is clearly not safe with them. Sean admits he's at fault for causing all of this and then decides to fix the situation at the source by visiting Mr. Waring in jail. Oh, this scene. Waring is ev- is evasive on whether or not his people are trying to kill Scott now that he's out in the open, but he does promise Scott will be safe from him if Sean and Gus vindicate him. He may not be innocent, but he definitely did not kill the agent. Oh, Arnold Oslo, the coolest so guy of all time and and like one of the few people i was he he does have very billy zanian qualities which we which we actually reference a, a few times but yeah. which was a psychic premonition because they mentioned billy zane and then we of course got billy for one of the later episodes i think this is one of the many billy zane references that we used to show billy that we actually had been that we've actually been paying tribute to him for a long time and got him to come into our final regular episode there's yeah and and the funny thing is, I I read or heard that he's because he's Arnold is South African, and and I heard that his nickname was Amy. I didn't oh, interesting. dare use that because I didn't <laughs> want that to be wrong. Just in case, yeah, just in case. But he's just a big, imposing and imposing guy, and 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 just just perfect for the scene. Maggie, you have, you have glossed over the amazing moment. When you see for the first time that Scott's alive and the guys are fist bumping and you go through and break the fist bump. Break the, the fist bump. The look yeah. on your face, it's just, it's extraordinary. It's such a great And then we have scene. a kiss and Sean's uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but the breaking of the fist bump is no joke. And, no joke. And yeah, there, there's so much like little stuff going on there. But the, the funny thing is, I think we also have the first time Sean's ever Sean visioning things that don't have to do with the case when he's Sean visioning you guys holding hands and his hand on your shoulder. And it's just a jealousy yeah. Sean vision. And they're like, yeah. there's like a yeah, hair, the swipe, hair roll. He like hair swipe. Yeah, the hair swipe. Oh, it's so good. I was just making sure I wasn't missing anything. Okay, yeah, in and, our notes. Um, and then what, Tommy Lee Jones. Did we go over Tommy Lee Jones? Oh, yeah, no, Have no, we not yet. That? <laughs> That's one of my favorite bits. The other thing that I loved is that, that when Sean was trying to, because they talk about how brave Scott was, <laughs> Sean, we find out that Sean was witness to an accident, but he p- pretended to be blind. Because their movie was starting in eight minutes. It's not okay. Uh, it's not okay. Back at the station, Lazzy gives Juliet his blessing to consummate their relationship with Scott. Tim. Which also, uh, this scene, this is obviously the episode where I discovered self-tanning lotion. Because oh, I've oh, got yeah. such an awesome tan on this one. You got a nice that, glow. And I was like, oh, I'm never not using this for anything ever again. It's so good. Well, and we had... Uh, ex- Ordinary weather. I remember that. I mean, you see, every time we shoot outside, the weather is just magnificent. Stunning. Back at the station, I should say, a very tan lassie gives Juliet the blessing to consummate the relationship. <laughs> and meaning, that should this thing work out, Scott passes the lassie test. <laughs> then they bond over the movie Grease, as we've discussed, one of the greatest lassie at moments, I think, in lassie at history. 
Sean and Gus take Scott back to the scene of the crime where Sean breaks the window to get in, even though he clearly didn't have to. <laughs> so good. Tim, by the way, <laughs> you're like wondering what would have happened if Kanicki had driven on Thunder Road, not having seen that movie <laughs> and delivering that line that way. That's And also what we, we did skip by one of my favorite things. And, and it's just so good that I can't imagine I wrote it and probably give credit to Tim Eltrigger, but... Where Sean's bragging that he learned about honor from his bootleg copy of Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many layers to that joke. There's no way I wrote that. Oh, God. This is a good show. We should all watch <laughs> oh, it. So good. So good. Okay. Sean and Gus lay down in crime scene oil, not blood. I, I invented that. I know that much. <laughs> and be the body. But Scott tells them Gus is facing the wrong way and that he's clearly laying in a pool of blood. He also says he saw Waring standing over the body, but instead of shooting, he just ran. Gus tells Sean that according to the report, the bullet went right through the agent but was never found. Sean realizes that with the body facing the way Scott said, the bullet must have gone straight out the window. They all go outside and find the missing bullet in a tree. This is so crazy. But as Sean climbs up the tree to confirm the find, shots fire out. Someone is shooting at them. Sean slides down the tree, <laughs> cat style, and then the guys take off running and return with the cops. But by the time they get back, the bullet is gone and only sap is left dripping from the tree. The real killer, and probably the person shooting at them earlier, removed the evidence. So when the boys go to the warehouse, were they investigating a murder? Oh, oh that was good. Always when the, li- when the nose crinkle <laughs> happens, I know it's good. That's when you I know, know I mean good. it, Mag. I'd put a little next in there for you. And, and we it. leave it all the way until now to get to. So, Tim, that was it was a great buildup that you had for it. What's really fun about this part of the park, too, is that when they first walk up to T&H Imports, which is a name for Tim and Heather, Tim's wife and, and he, Aww, when they first walk sweet. up to it, that is just a facade that we built in the middle of Plekis Park where you guys did the walkthrough earlier we we shot that you guys doing your little walk in the woods and then we built this thing and did this the the bullet in the tree thing there too because there, there aren't any buildings anywhere so they did this magnificent job of building this whole facade of this thing that they wow. walk into then when they go inside of course it's terminal city i was um, gonna say was <laughs> terminal city, right the incredibly toxic old industrial site we would occasionally shoot at where you didn't want to touch anything for fear of the chemicals that were once there and I think that we had just shot Terminal City like the episode before or or two back. So I really had to find a lot of angles that didn't look like the previous episode that was supposed to be something totally different. So oh, wow. it was it was challenging, but it was fun. And it was Terminal really cool to, to be able to do the the sort of special shot that we did of the bullet going through the agent. So cool. By the way, all that was so cool. I love this case. I think this case is fantastic. It's almost um, like an it's like the episode needed to be 15 minutes longer to get all the details of the case. There's some moments where I'm like, oh, we skipped ahead on some of that. Or it's it all has to come together pretty easily. But it does. Like, I followed the case so clearly, along with all the emotional stuff that's happening, too. I loved I wrote that down. Like, oh, this case. Yeah. And it was really, it was really, really cool. And there's a lot of discussion whether a tree grows up or does it grow from the <laughs> trunk and all that stuff. But. The angle of the bullet from just the smallest deviation could have gone up 10 feet, 5 feet. So I yeah. think it tracks if you really kind of squint and don't focus in too tightly. 
Okay, back at the police station, Juliet hugs Scott goodbye as Wayne takes him back into custody. Sean asks Chief Vic why Wayne is so invested in the case, and she tells him that the dead agent was Wayne's partner. Looking out her window at Wayne and Scott departing, Sean notices tree sap on Wayne's hands. Good Sean vision. The same sap that got on Sean when he was climbing the tree. That's when Sean realizes Wayne took the bullet, and Wayne is the one who killed the agent. Sean then hops on his motorcycle, so good, and Um, chases after Wayne and Scott. The very rare... It's like the psych unicorn is Sean riding his motorcycle. (laughs) So good. It might be one of the last times we see it in the show because James hated the helmet and hated being on the motorcycle and all that. So we're going out with a bang. And it was so great in shooting this chase. We had this this piece of road that we had and we had this thing called a Yamaha Rhino. They had this camera and arm attached to it. And I got to sit in the back. While we zipped in and out of traffic with Marco, oh my God, it was so much fun and totally terrifying to having the cars coming at you. It was just, I mean, and this isn't even, by the way, I said earlier, one of my favorite moments in the history of the series, not even that, it's still coming up. Oh, okay. So that Um, was a really um, good shot. I'm going to say when um, the SUV pulls into that gravel, that gravel driveway and then does, comes a screeching halt and then we see Sean, air quotes, Right, and it's such an obvious shot of Brandon is done double. Uh, It's like an almost full face shot of Brandon riding the motorcycle. Oh yeah, Byron. Yes, Byron. Byron. Yes, Byron. And not only that, Byron. You know when they when Sean climbs up on the tree, and then and then Gus and Scott leave them leave him behind, and he has to slide down. Which, by the way, incredibly painful. Byron did that stunt and slid down that tree, which the bark was so so intense. And they had like a little thing like the, like the tree climbers use that sort of wrap around uh-huh. and, and grip in. And he just let it fly. And then we do the classic cowboy switch where he falls out of frame and then James pops his head up and then goes running yeah. after that. There was a joke. I was really waiting for when Sean pops up. I wanted to hear so many slivers. <laughs> I think it was good. I think we we because that day we shot all that Plekis Park stuff. We've done it was everything in this episode is so overloaded. I think we were running from scene to scene. Like there was no time to to improvise anything unless we unless we planned it out hours before. It was elaborate. After they pull over, Sean reveals to Wayne that he knows the truth, that the shooting was an accident, a result of the chaotic raid. But when Wayne saw an opportunity to pin it on Waring and send him away for good, something the government had wanted to do for a while. Finally, he hid Scott in witness protection to wrap up the loose ends. Wayne, who originally tried to avoid killing to cover up his mistake, realizes his only way out now is to kill them both. After Wayne knocks out Scott with a simple punch to the face, Sean manages to hit Wayne's gun under the car. Sean and Wayne get into a heated fight, and just as Wayne plans to shoot Sean, Scott regains consciousness and strikes him with a a metal pole. And the cops arrive, and as Lassiter arrests Wayne, Jules and Sean lock eyes internally saying thank you and you're welcome. With Scott now safe, he no longer needs to go back into protective custody, uh, but he and Juliet know the timing isn't right for them. Scott lost five years of his life and needs to go back and experience the free world. Well, we'll get to the last little bit of the episode, but that fight is so good. It's it was, so scary. It's so fun to shoot. And, and it is. It's, it's, it's rougher than we usually allow Sean to, and dirtier than Sean gets to be. Dan Shea, our, our, our son corner, to really pulled out all the stops on that one and, yeah. and I, well done Danny. i think in every fight i ever do i always do the the gun slides under something and from the other side seeing the person climbing towards it underneath yeah. the car was a great way because i mean it's like sean's gonna fight a legitimate federal agent no. we're doing the psych premonition of juliet's kip up in, in psych the movie one we had to I add how did i just do that because 
dude, did you see what I just did? Yeah, which is pretty, <laughs> so which is good. pretty awesome. And yeah, and, the, and that rubber rebar that we have that that he ends up hitting him with is pretty great. I have a great picture of me pretending to strike Tim Meltrager on the back with that. That I'll probably that I'll probably post up for you guys because I actually have some pictures from this episode. Oh, Steve, send! Oh my gosh! Now that you've said that, the psychos too are gonna like. Yes, please, anything you have. We must have them all. Yeah, no, it's great. And and James was like in the gravel on the dirt, and it, you know, it's like we talk a lot about about stunt guys being involved, but at the end of the day, every one of you guys, you're always like, "Hold on, I got this, I got this," and you guys yeah. are getting down and and and. And doing things that are that are hard and painful, and you know you're going to feel the next day, and it just it looks fantastic, with the exception of ever riding a motorcycle. And I got to say, <laughs> stunt performers, because we often had a lot of female stunt performers yeah. on our show. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. did I say stunt? Yes, that's what I meant. That's exactly what I meant. What did we say? Stunt? Oh, yeah, stunt performers. Okay, so Scott and Juliet say goodbye yet again at the very same train station, agreeing to meet back there in three years. Except Later years in the day from when we, re- we shot the opening scene. End of the night. Yeah, the, the end of the night. Uh, they decide three years is too long, so they plan on meeting back in one year. Another show first. Juliet in a three-quarter sleeve sweater. And those flared jeans, which I've got to ask you, Maggie, did those jeans fall off a truck? Those jeans are so, it's so funny because those jeans are such a, like a little time warp for me because I think I owned them in real life. Yes, they absolutely fell off a truck. And the whole outfit, as I was looking at it, I'm like, wow, that was like, I would say in my twenties, any show I did, or, you know, that was the, that was like the uniform, like the jeans, those, that brand of jeans, which was seven for all mankind, even though they still have, they have those jeans out there still. They're like, you know, but at the time they were extremely popular and it was fun. It was like Juliet and street clothes, but like, it's still very feminine and datey. Like You're still I in high the, heels too. <laughs> and, and I'm still in heels. Well, my gosh, Josh was six, four uh, He something. was almost as tall he as was I so was. Tall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You guys. We have fan questions. Well, hold on a second. Hold on. The song is called yeah. I Don't Want to Know by a band called The Breakups. So Aww, check it out on how, Spotify. It's a really, really good song. And I think that- How appropriate. Yeah. And I, I think it was Kerry Druden who found that song because I didn't know that band, but it was perfect and, and kind of awesome. So shout out to her. So good. And the other thing is the greatest moment for Psych, one of the top five for me is that last shot when you watch the, the train go away. We had a five car train parked in the station and they were waiting for me to give the signal to send the train going. And we had one time we could do it because once once a train starts moving, it, it's very <laughs> yeah. it doesn't just stop. So it's like trying to turn a, fr- a freighter. Yeah. So and because we had done so much that day at the train station, this was like nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. I know, you know, we, everything had been crammed into this day and, and we capped it uh, with sending that train off and giving the signal and seeing a train move. And, oh my yeah. God. So, so good. Did you get to wear an engineer's cap? <laughs> I know magical. I didn't, but I did have to wear one of those glow, those glow safety vests out there. Yeah. Yeah. We were shooting on safety train never tracks takes with a, a real moving train. Uh, it was so cool. Yeah, it was it was really fun. And and it's just so lucky to to have a job where you can do that. <laughs> I mean, it was real that that night again, like the, my memories are so, like start to be really vivid now. Like of and I remember all the episodes, but like this one I just I remember so much. Yeah. And I remember that watching that tra- I thought it was the coolest thing that we got that and that I don't know. 
it was so fun. And Josh really was on the train. Yeah. yeah. And he was really going away. Was, I mean, it was great. Yeah. And that so train great. actually took him back home. So it was perfect. <laughs> we had to wrap, <laughs> took it all the way wrap him and everything. But it's <laughs> suddenly shows up in Seattle. Like, How did I get in Seattle? I'm at the Space Needle. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Okay. okay let's guys, talk fan, fan questions. questions. Let's go fan questions. Okay. Did you ever plan? Oh, this is a good one. Did you ever plan on having Juliet and Scott meet up a year later? That is something that, that could happen in another form of psych entertainment. You just never know. You never know what's, what there is out there in the psych universe to find out what happened to them. But we know they never met up again on the, on the weekly series. series. Yeah. So uh, there could be something in the, in, the, in, the, in the psych future that could explain Psychos- this story. I, I don't know. Oh, my God. Even I'm like, okay, <laughs> Steve, you can't drop something like that. And then, oh, I understand. So there's still, there's break into laws as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of places it could show up. Well, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away, but what do you think would have happened if Juliet and Scott met up a year later like they planned? Well, I'm unfortunately, the flaming, exciting meteor that was Shul's had happened by the time their date came up. So he, he had no chance at that point, but it would, it would have been nice, but there was no way there was no, there was no room for Scott Seaver in that world. By the way, Scott Seaver named after one of my, one of my best friends who I used to work with at Disneyland. So he, he got one of the best character names on the show. I mean, Scott Seaver feels like a very famous character. Like it's such a good name. It feels like like Scott Seaver. Yes, it just I know. Like, I'm a, my friends from like an '80s sitcom or something. Yeah, yeah. My friends that got named after like the hot dog vendor are upset. <laughs> okay. Uh, why do you think Juliet went to Gus and not Lassiter about this? Well, she went. To- oh, like it. Oh, yeah. Gus and not Sean or Gusser. The question says Lassiter, and I'm wondering if it's that I was like like Gus, you need to investigate this because we can't use like department resources, yeah. well, right? I think because it's too it's too far outside of the department jurisdiction. Yeah. Well and the and the chief is has I don't know if if that's happened yet, but the chief's told her, listen, you don't you can't be investigating your personal missing person things as well. And obviously she couldn't go to Sean. I don't think she she could go to Lasser. So Gus seems like the logical place to go. Yeah. It does. And I plus I love that scene between us so much. Do either of you have do any I should say any of us have a romantic story like Juliet's train meeting tale? Oh, I have hundreds, hundreds just like Same. it. Same. But I'm using them all for future psych related projects. I feel like I do feel like I have some stories like this that are like, wait, where did you come from? And is this like one my very first boyfriend, I remember we like went on a date when I was 17 and then would see each other like once a year for years uh-huh. randomly at certain places. And it just wasn't like. I say my first like real boyfriend, but like my adult, like my first like adult boyfriend, I should say. But like, and then one night just like ran into each other and this time it was different. Yeah. And we talked about it because the first time we went out was a date. It just happened to be like four years before. And then we went on another date and that was that. Like it was like, oh, now we're ready. Okay, great. Yeah. So in a way it was romantic because like the world, if you believe in that kind of thing, like the world just kept bringing us together until we were ready well of course and, yeah. and timing is of course everything and you know it's it's when 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 and where and this this is this has both sides of that the timing was right and then the timing was wrong but Juliet had yeah. she had a life to live so and, and uh, I love that there's like a train it's sort of like the sliding doors thing yes, a little bit of course yes like you know this is like moving the trains going a different direction anyway Tim what about you I do not okay <laughs> love it Whose idea was it to make a Juliet-focused episode? I think that, I mean... The I, universes. 
I, I'm certain that I don't. I, I hate taking credit for things, but I, I'm almost certain that this is uh, <laughs> it was me because this was all you, Steve Franks. I know it was. I know it was. And, well, then and I, Tim I, was the greatest ad. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and it and it's really, really fun to write with your friends. And you know, when you're do, when it's just like it's no longer work. And th- this episode, by the way, we we talked about it. It's like there are so many locations, and there is so much going on in this episode. It's more than than should be in one episode. But when you come at it from what's fun to do, then yeah. it you know it, it doesn't feel long. It didn't feel hard. You know, it felt it, it felt like oh, it's, we did all this stuff, and wow, it, what amazing memories we have from this oh. experience. But what what a fun episode! What great locations to get to be part of, and what you know, every day there was something on. Oh my God, it's Lasser and Juliet. You yeah. know, talking about Greece, and oh my God, we're gonna go do the chase through the forest. No, we're gonna do the. Yeah. It's just, there's just so much. It, it, there's a we don't lot deserve it. It's there's... too much. <laughs> we don't deserve a very Juliet episode. Is this, oh, this is good. Is this episode inspired by a true story from any of the writers or anything? <laughs> it's inspired no. by the movie Love Affair, which was remade into An Affair to Remember, <laughs> which was then remade back into Love Affair by Warren Beatty and, and, and contains Catherine Hepburn's last appearance on film. But where does um, same time next year come into that? Oh. The Alan Alden movie. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah, same, same time, time or play. Next year. Oh my god! Yeah, see that they're all that, that's the Neil Simon. So it it must it must relate somewhere exactly in the midpoint. And by the way, speaking of the 1970s, which I believe that movie might have been 1980, 79, somewhere there, we would not be in the right place not to mourn the passing of Cindy Williams. Oh, Yesterday we correct. recorded it. The number one funniest episode of television I've ever seen is the diner episode of Laverne and Shirley. I will never laugh as hard at anything as that episode. And it's what an amazing, amazing duo. I mean, it's just, you know, Sean and Gus, they always say, oh, yeah, well, it's moonlighting. It's all this. And I go, well, it's also Laverne and Shirley. Uh, It is. I feel like Laverne and Shirley, I feel like moonlighting is the one that sort of always gets the, like, call when you're talking about this dynamic. And, like, but I'm with you on Laverne and Shirley. I ended up going back, uh, watching a lot of episodes. My very first real pilot was for Miller Boyette when they did like TGI, you know, TGIF on Friday nights. Yeah. And the show was a sold series because they were so popular at the time, even though it never saw the light of day. So I was very excited to get this job. And Cindy Williams, it was sort of a, uh, <laughs> this is not a great title, but it was called Girls Across the Lake. And it was like a boarding school situation. And it was Cindy Williams was like our head teacher. Like she was the woman who like ran the place. So my very first pilot, very first experience was with Cindy. Like it was insane. No way. she, She was so nice, so welcoming, so funny, so helpful. And like it just was... I felt like I had hit the jack. I mean, obviously, it was like one of those magical, like, is this pinch me? Is this really happening moments? And the show ended up not going, but I will, for as long as I live, never forget that experience and how wonderful she was. That's, so, that's I love that you brought her up. Just yeah. just an extraordinarily funny show and just it, it just really unique. And, and a spinoff, a show that it was 10 times funnier than the show it was spun off from. Wait, Laverne and Shirley? Yeah, it was a spin oh, cause it was, Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I, Happy Days was the show that I loved the most when I was growing yeah. up. But it was it never attempted or wanted to be anywhere as funny as, as funny. that show and those two women. Right. And 
just just extraordinary just what what a very cool what an amazing gift that we have to be able to see that and all that so there we go what before we wrap up okay. one more question and i don't know if i feel comfortable with it juliet has multiple love interests over the show will you please rank them I think we should do this later. <laughs> that could be another special episode because you're going through the show <laughs> too fast. You're going through the episodes too fast. So how about we do we should do one with ranking Juliet's love interests? Uh, I love that. And Greece. We need our Greece episode yeah. as well. Oh my gosh. I am so excited about we should do we can by the way, I'm I'm inserting myself into this. I'm not you guys, you guys do this and then no. uh, we have to do it. I like I don't want this episode to end just because this one is so so close to my heart and I um unfortunately have to go in a moment, but I I feel like this was such a turning point. This was a big moment on the show for me and I just wanted to as you know how we feel, but I also I just had to like say it again. It's so special. It's so sweet and so special. It's I got an interject partner. It was a big moment for you that you totally deserved, you totally earned and oh. knocked it out of the Absolutely. park. Absolutely. And yeah. for me, it was like a vacation. It's like, every, you know, everybody was up there. We were having such a good time. It was such a sweet and warm episode. And it was just so much yeah. fun. So I I actually got more out of it than than I ever should. So <laughs> we honestly, though, by this point, we were like cooking. And I feel like we were at the point where we were less worried about like the pickup at the end of the season. We really got to sink in by now and feel safe that like, OK, we were you know, I mean, we were always worried about the pickup at the end of the season, yeah, but you sure. know what I mean? Like there was a comfort, there was a confidence, like we were in a, we were on a roll now. And so with that, you know, we just really got to take it all in. And I feel like this is kind of the moment that time got to slow down a little yeah. bit. And like, we all got to start really doing that. And I feel there was yeah. just so much trust that the drama was going to play. And yeah, we'll get to the, we'll get to the jokes. We'll get to the action scene. We'll do all that, but we're going to sit here for a minute. And we're going to watch this character go through this. And yeah. you delivered yeah. both of you. But, you know, Mags, a little bit more on your part. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> on this Definitely. one. On this Kidding. one. It's not called a very last episode. It's called a very Juliet episode. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's so much fun um, to do. And once again, when you have your own show, everybody, make sure <laughs> that, that you take time. You take the time to, well, to slow it yeah. down and do something like this. This is where that we got to do that. And it was a slowdown for everybody. It was a little lighter load for James. You know, he got to like have a little a little time, a little break, got to like just enjoy. Like it just was it was magic. This whole episode was just magic. And so was this podcast today. So thank you. Seriously, one of my favorite episodes of the season. I'm not just saying that because I'm in the title. <laughs> Always love having Steve. Don't forget to follow us on our Instagram at the Psychologist Are In and our Twitter at Psychologist Pod. Plus, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash psychologists are in. See you next week where we talk about season four, episode 13, Death is in the Air. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.